And with that, Calvary, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of our scripture this morning. Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 16, and it can be found on page 894 in the Pew Bibles. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Louisa. It was uh, beautiful and a testimony of God's grace uh, throughout our whole lives. This morning uh, starts our first Sunday of Advent, our Advent season, so I want to welcome you here this morning to our regular attenders, or if you're new to Calvary, very glad uh, that you are here this morning. I want to just get right in to our text this morning, looking at verse 12. And in verse 12, if you still have your Bibles open, Jesus says famously, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So I want to begin our sermon this morning by posing the question, have you ever felt like you were walking in darkness? Not literally, perhaps, but metaphorically. The metaphor of walking in darkness makes sense because we understand what it's like to literally walk in darkness. No one's the last time you've ever walked in a pitch black room that you were unfamiliar with, but But when you've had that experience, and I think probably all of us have had that experience, we slow way down, we kind of shuffle our feet along, kind of afraid to pick them up and stumble, kind of wave our arms out in front of us defensively. And I think we can feel sometimes like we're moving through life like that. We're, We're not sure where we are. We're not really sure where we're going. We don't know what's out in front of us. And so our pace in life slows way down. And we're just kind of shuffling around trying to feel our way forward. That's really no way to live. And the good news this morning is that Jesus offers himself as the solution to the person that is living in the dark. But before we get to the solution, I want to note three dead-end roads from this passage that people often follow in their attempt to get out of the dark. Three dead-end roads, and then I'm going to end with the solution that Jesus offers, which is himself, and then we will take communion together. So the first dead-end road I invite us to consider coming from this text here is mere religion. Now, religion might seem a strange thing for a pastor to be calling a dead-end road, but depends a little bit on what you mean by the term religion. I'm using the term here to refer 
to the formal religious systems and practices and beliefs and ethics that are centered around the worship of a particular deity. And here, our text opens up, verse 12, in the middle of a dialogue between Jesus and the very religious Pharisees. For those who might be unfamiliar with the Gospels, the Pharisees were the the religious clergy of Jesus' day, the Jewish clergy. They were the experts in the Jewish scriptures and in the Jewish religious customs. They taught in the Jewish synagogues, and their profession was to lead people into deeper devotion to the God of the Bible and to ready people for the coming of Messiah. In verse 12, Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. And then in verse 13, we see that the Pharisees are not having any of it. And they say, no, no, you're just, you're just bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. You are not the light of the world. Now, there's a deep irony here because in the gospel stories, the Pharisees, the professional religious people, the clergy, were the group most opposed to Jesus and his message. The Jewish prophets had long ago prophesied that a light would dawn in the world when the Messiah came. And here, the light of the world has come, and the one group, the one group above all others that should have recognized and understood this light are rejecting it. The Jewish clergy manning the ship have so lost their way in the darkness that they can't recognize the light of their own Messiah. And in fact, the Pharisees were the chief party in that day that later went on to get Jesus crucified by the Romans. Now, there's a number of problems with the Pharisees, but their main problem is that they were hypocrites. They had an external form of religious devotion, but it was only external Jesus later goes on to call them, to their faces, whitewashed tombs. They look all neat and clean on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead man's bones. He goes on to call them blind guides. The leaders of Israel, the ones who are leading the people of Israel, but into this very same ditch that they themselves are falling into. And the main point to make here is that even religious devotion can leave us stuck in the dark. Even devotion to the Christian religion can leave us stuck in the dark. Think of the Christian religion like a hospital, which is a metaphor that St. Augustine, one of the earliest Christian theologians, a hospital is good and it's useful. And it has buildings, and it has employees, doctors, professionals. It has procedures for healing the sick. It has rules that you are to follow when you're there. Now, imagine you were sick with cancer, let's say. And so you went to the hospital, and you parked in the parking lot, you walked into the lobby, and you sat down. But that was it. All you did was just go to the hospital. That wouldn't do you any good. 
Because what you need is not just to be in the hospital building, but you need the treatment, the healing that the hospital provides. The message of Christianity is not fundamentally a message of morality or a prescription for religious practices that will make God happy. Light these candles, say these prayers, sing these songs, and then God will be happy with you. The message of Christianity is that all human beings have been made sick by sin and that we can't make ourselves better and that Jesus Christ, the person Jesus Christ, not the concept Jesus Christ, not the idea Jesus Christ, not the religion Jesus Christ, the living person Jesus Christ who's saying the words that we're reading right here, he himself is the medicine that wipes away our guilt and heals our souls. And it's through faith and a personal relationship with him that we access the medicine that God has sent because Christ himself is the medicine, not our bare religious practices. Our religious practices are meant to be conduits through which the medicine flows into our lives. But our religious practices are not the medicine itself. And so many people walk into the Christian religion and they sit down in the lobby and then they die of cancer. Because the power of the Christian religion is not the religion, the rules, the customs, the morality, the church going, but Christ. And if all you get out of Christianity is going to church and sitting in the pew, you're no better off than the Pharisees. You're getting the religion, but you're not getting the religion's medicine. So more on that in a moment. So the first dead-end road out of the dark is just mere religion. The second is our appetites. In verse 15, Jesus critiques the Pharisees by saying, you judge according to the flesh. Now, the term flesh is often used in the Bible as a euphemism for the exterior, tangible world, the sensible world, the world that we can discern with our senses. When we think about someone being fleshly, we probably most naturally think about a person who indulges their flesh, who indulges their bodily appetites. Now, that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about here with the Pharisees, as we'll see in a moment. But fleshly indulgence is also a dead-end road that the Bible speaks fairly often about. So let's take just a moment and make this our second dead-end road out of the dark. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter warns against living according to the desires of the flesh. The Bible's critique of being fleshly is not a critique of the body. It's not a critique even of bodily desires, but against being ruled by bodily desires. In the Bible, the fleshly person is a person who follows, above all else, the appetites and the desires of the body. So the fleshly person desires food, and so they eat. They desire drink, and so they drink. 
The flesh desires sex, and so they sex. And their whole will is held captive by the desires of the flesh. But when the desires of the flesh are the primary drivers of our lives, our lives become miserable. I mean, how many of us have pursued comfort to the point of exhaustion? So maybe you get to the end of a long week and you say, oh, I've had a long week. I need a break. I'm going to watch my favorite Netflix show. And then three seasons and seven hours later, (laughs) you feel utterly and mentally exhausted. How many have taken a break to scroll through social media and then four hours later, you just feel exhausted? We pursue comfort in a way that leaves us feeling exhausted. Or how many of us have pursued the pleasure of food to the point of nausea? How many of us have filled our lives with excitement and thrill to the point of anxiety and stress? Some people delve so deep into the sensuality of pornography that they become incapable of actual physical intimacy with with their spouse. Or some people delve so deep into alcohol to hide from the hard things in their life that they end up destroying the good things of their lives. Think of the flesh like a two-year-old. Two-year-olds are wonderful creatures to care for. They're terrible things to be led by, as any parent of a two-year-old will tell you. If you have to follow around the desires and inclinations of a two-year-old, it will make you miserable as a parent. Jesus is not against bodily pleasure. The best of the Christian tradition has always taught that everything that God has made is good and to be received with thanks and gratitude. But if we allow ourselves to be parented by or led by our bodies rather than parenting our bodies, If our lives are driven by or guided by our bodily appetites, we will not be led into joy and happiness, but into misery and darkness and isolation. So mere religion can't lead us out of the dark. Our bodily appetites and desires cannot lead us out of the dark. So we might think, all right, I get that the body can't lead us out of the dark. Most of us would agree that if we just follow the desires of our body, That's not going to lead to happiness. What we should be doing, we might think, is following our minds. But actually, that's the third thing that can't lead us out of the dark, the human mind. In verse 15, Jesus calls the judgment of the Pharisees fleshly. Now, at first blush, that may seem like an ill-fitting critique because the Pharisees actually prided themselves on not being fleshly on not being driven by their bodily appetites. In fact, they poured out scorn on those who were driven by their bodily appetites. For the Pharisees, the body was to be ruled by the judgments or the conclusions of the mind. Notice in verse 15 that Jesus isn't directly calling the Pharisees fleshly. He's calling their judgments fleshly. When Jesus uses the term judgment, he's not talking about the Pharisees being too judgy. They're just walking around condemning everybody all the time. It's not what he's talking about. The Greek term translated as judgment also means to decide or to conclude. It's a reference to the mind. 
Jesus is critiquing the manner in which the Pharisees reach their conclusions about him. He's critiquing their mind. Jesus is saying, the problem with you Pharisees is that you determine what is real and true based solely on what your empirical senses tell you. So you look at me, poor, not educated in your rabbinical schools, not connected to your social networks, not coming from your family pedigree, and you determine, you make a judgment, you reach the conclusion that I can't be Messiah. Because for the Pharisees, the idea of a Messiah as a poor, uneducated, socially disconnected peasant, that just didn't make any sense to them. And because Jesus didn't make sense to their senses, they misunderstood him. And that's why Jesus is calling their judgments fleshly. And the irony is that however much the Pharisees prided themselves on not being sensualists, they actually were. And maybe you're prone to making the same mistake as the Pharisees. You make your judgments about what is real and true in this world based upon what your empirical senses tell you. That can lead to a very sensible life, and that's good. And the Pharisees themselves were nothing if not sensible. And so maybe you properly, rightly, helpfully, you take extra precautions about where you live, to live in a safe neighborhood, to drive a safe car, to have all the proper insurance policies, to save for your retirement responsibly. And you do all the reasonable and prudent things that make sense to your empirical senses. And all of that is good. Truly, it really is. But you know what happens to all the sensible people who live in all the right places and drive the right cars and have all the proper insurance policies and save for their retirement and do all the reasonable and prudent and sensible things that make sense to their empirical senses. They die just like the rest of us. Our empirical senses can help us with a lot of things, but they cannot lead us out of the valley of the shadow of death. And if life and reality consisted solely in the physical world of the senses, if that's all that there was, only matter, what's the point of it all? Because fast forward with me into the future. After our sun has burned out and exploded and our planet has careened out of orbit into the darkness of space and the last star in the last galaxy has burned out and the whole universe is frozen over in black silence and no one exists anymore, anywhere for all eternity to ever come and discover our crumbling monuments or the broken ruins of our civilization. What's the point of it all if the destiny of all things is dark, frozen over silence? What really matters anyway? And if that's what reality fundamentally is, then when each of us breathes our last, that's the reality to which we all go. And no amount of intellectual genius or common sense 
or rationality can deliver us from that dark end. So where to, then, from here? If mere religion cannot lead us out of the dark, if our bodily appetites cannot lead us out of the dark, if our intellect cannot lead us out of the dark, what can lead us out of the dark? We need a light that exists beyond the confines of this world, a light that comes to us from outside the system, so to speak. In verse 12, Jesus calls himself that light. And he makes a radical claim. He says that whoever will believe in him and follow him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse 14, Jesus says that his way of judging, his way of discerning reality is true because he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. Jesus is not walking in the dark because he himself carries the light of God and he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going to. And he's saying, if you walk with me, you can walk by the light of who I am. You don't have to walk in a dark world either. And when we walk in his light, suddenly this world that has no light in and of itself is illumined and it begins to make sense and we can see the beauty of it. C.S. Lewis is a famous atheist turned Christian. And he once remarked that he came to believe in God like he believes in the sun on a cloudy day. Not because he has seen the sun, but because by it, he has come to see everything else. I think it's such a profound and good way to think about the illuminating light of God in the world. We may not be able to see God with our physical eyes, but through our knowledge of God and our experience of the light of Christ in our lives, we can all of a sudden see the world for what it is and we can make sense of the world around us. The light of God in Christ reveals where we are and where we should be going. But even more than that, the light of God in Christ reveals who we are and what we were made for. And we were fundamentally made to be known and loved by God. The Apostle John, who wrote this gospel, he wrote some epistles later in the New Testament, and he describes God as two things. He says God is light and God is love. Just a few chapters earlier here in John's gospel, in chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the entire Christian tradition is filled with people who have believed in the Son of God and have seen the world through his light. And if you have despaired of mere religion, if you have despaired of following your own bodily appetites, if you have despaired of trying to make sense of the world with your mind, then I commend to you the light of Christ Christ. 